2: saying, first of all, that the priesthood of Jesus precedes and transcends any earthly priestly system. That's one of the points he's making. And the second point he's making is, Jesus was before the priesthood was ever established among men, and he is greater than any priest among men. Because only Jesus can stand between a holy God and sinful humanity to bridge that gap. And only Jesus can reconcile man to God. Only
1: Jesus can bridge the gap between a holy God and a sinful man. He's the only one who can reconcile us to God because he is God and he is man. Pastor Gary is talking about how Jesus is a superior priest in today's message. The job of the priest was to intercede on behalf of the people to offer sacrifices for sin. But the old priest could only provide temporary satisfaction. When Jesus was sacrificed on the cross, He provided an eternal covering of sin for you and for me. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Hebrews chapter 6, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: Shem lived to be 600 years old. Abraham only lived to be 175. So Shem was still living when Abraham was alive. But I don't think it was Shem. Others believe that he was a real person, an historical figure of Abraham's day, and that he was a type of Christ. Now, I put that in in quotations. That's a theological term. We talk about a type of Christ. What it means is there are different people in the Old Testament, who give us a good glimpse as to who Jesus is because they characterize some aspect of His life or His ministry. And so there are different people in the Old Testament that we look at and we say, that person serves to be a type of Christ. For example, Joshua is a type of Christ. Even his name, Joshua's name, that is an anglicized version. His name is Yehoshua. It's the same name Jesus was given. His Hebrew given name was Yehoshua okay? And Joshua leads the people into the promised land, remember? Moses could not do that because Moses represented the law. Joshua represented grace. The law can never take you into the promised land, only grace can. Joshua is a picture or a type of Christ, okay? But Joshua wasn't Christ. And, and so some say that, well, Melchizedek was a real person, a historical figure, and that he was a type of Christ, Because when you look at the Genesis account that I just read, I mean, he is the king of Salem. We'll talk about that in a moment. He presents bread and wine. Does that sound familiar? we just had, except for the, you know, we didn't go Episcopal style. We didn't have the wine part, but we had just the grape juice, but we had the bread and the cup. Okay. So some say he's a type of Christ and then others, and this is the camp I fall into, believe that it actually was Jesus Christ in human form, that Melchizedek, when he made an appearance to Abraham, was actually Christ taking on human form. It's what we call in theological terms a theophany or a Christophany, an appearance of God, an appearance of Christ. Uh, This would be obviously a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. What does that mean? When God became flesh and dwelt among us, he was born of a virgin, came into our world, entering through the womb of Mary, took on flesh. That was, the, that was the incarnation of Christ. That's when God took on flesh and dwelt among us. Okay, But there are times in the Old Testament, because Jesus has always existed, being co-equal and co-eternal with God. Okay. He, was, he just came into our world and took on flesh through the miracle of the virgin birth. Right, But Christ has always existed, being co-equal and co-eternal with, with God. And there are times in the Old Testament where Christ appears, taking on human form. That's what we mean by a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And it is likely that Genesis 14 is one of those events. Now, interestingly, in John chapter 8, so this is is how I'm going to make the argument, the case for it. In John chapter 8, there's this conversation that some skeptics have with Jesus. They don't believe in who he is. They don't accept that he's Messiah. And so in John chapter 8, there's this back and forth conversation between them and Jesus. And uh, Jesus said to them in John 8, 56, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Very interesting. Jesus said in John 8, 56, Abraham saw my day. Now, the skeptics reply in the next verse in John 8, 57. They said, you're not yet 50 years old, and yet you have seen Abraham? And Jesus replies in John 8, 58, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. I am the self-existent one. I am the one who always has been and is and shall be. Abraham saw my day. And rejoiced about it. So could it be that when Jesus said that in John 8 56, he's referring to what we read in Genesis 14 with this encounter with Melchizedek? I'm going to take you through the characteristics of Melchizedek as we know it, revealed in Scripture. For those of you who are taking notes, Here's a little bit about what the text tells us here in Hebrews chapter 7. Now, before I go through these, let me just read now in chapter 7, the first three verses. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. as referring to the Genesis 14 account. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness, then also king of Salem, means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. All right, so now, just take a look at some of these bullet points from the text we just read. First of all, Melchizedek is from two Hebrew words, melech Zedek. Melech means king, Zedek means righteousness. So his name literally means king of righteousness. As we go through each of these, you're going to go, kind of sounds like Jesus. Okay, I think so too, but perhaps you, you want to believe one of the other possibilities of the identity of Melchizedek. That's fine, you're entitled to be wrong if you want to. But anyhow, I say it with humor. Okay, so Melech Zedek, king of righteousness, kind of sounds like Jesus. And then he's given two titles, king of Salem. Salam is from the Hebrew root word shalom. It literally translates king of peace. Who else do we know is kind of the king of peace. And then he's also the priest of God most high. That's another title that the writer of Hebrews tells us that he is called. And therefore he serves as a priest king because he's priest of God most high, but he's also king of Salem. There's no one else in the Bible who serves in the dual role of priest-king except Jesus. There's no other earthly person, and some will say, well, Melchizedek was an exception to that. Okay, if you're not believing that he was really Jesus in human form, then that's what you have to say. Well, then Melchizedek was an exception to that. But it fits more accurately biblically to say that the only one who ever served in the dual role of being both priest and king is none other than Jesus. There was one king in the book of Chronicles who tried to serve as priest in a dual role. His name was Uzziah, and when he tried to do that, God struck him with leprosy. Okay, so nobody in the Bible ever served in the dual capacity of being both priest and king. And it was very clear, especially in the Old Testament, you're king, you're not a priest. You're a priest, you're not a king. The only one who served as priest king in the Bible, is Jesus. Here's some other bullet points about Melchizedek. He has no genealogy, beginning or ending, because that's what we just read there in chapter 7, verse 3. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life. Now again, those who say, well, he was just a type of Christ, but he wasn't really Christ— their argument on this point is just that we don't know anything about his genealogy. And so therefore, that's what the writer means. We don't know anything about his parentage, his father, his mother, his ancestry. And so thus, the, the writer just intends us to, to know that we, we have no idea of his ancestry. But to me, when you read this and the way it's spelled out so you know clearly here, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, Sounds again like Jesus. In Revelation 1 8, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I have no beginning. I have no ending. I am all of that. And then he's also mentioned here at the end of verse 3, like the Son of God. Well, again, you could say, well, it doesn't say he is the Son of God. He's like the Son of God. Well, in Daniel chapter 3, verse 25, we have an example of one of these pre incarnate appearance of Christ, a Christophany. And in Daniel 3, the occasion is when Nebuchadnezzar throws Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace because they refuse to bow down to him and worship him as king. So Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan, idolatrous king, has Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace. And in Daniel 3.25, Nebuchadnezzar then all of a sudden says, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of God same phrase that is used. And who was it that was walking around with them in the fiery furnace? It was the Lord. It was Jesus, like the Son of God, who is the Son of God. The other bullet point up here for you is that he remains a priest forever. In other words, he has an eternal priesthood. In verse 3, the writer of Hebrews says that he remains a priest forever. What other person has ever had an eternal priesthood? And The next bullet point I have up there for you says that he received tithes from Abraham because the Genesis account said that Abraham gave him a tenth of all that he had. The writer of Hebrews repeats that and says that Abraham gave him a tenth of all that he had. It's the first time that the word tithe appears in the Bible. And tithing, again, is, is a giving of a tenth. It all comes from the Lord. When we give a tenth and we tithe, we're honoring God with a portion of what he's given us. And interestingly, you know, Abraham was 500 years before the Mosaic law. So anybody uses the argument that tithing is just part of the Old Testament law. Abraham was tithing before the law existed. And to whom did he tithe? Melchizedek. Well, who do you really give your offerings to? I mean, isn't it unto the Lord? Isn't it possible that Melchizedek was, in fact, the Lord? And then last bullet point is that he, uh, Melchizedek offered bread and wine in the Genesis 14 account, and he blessed Abraham. So it's interesting that he brings out basically the the symbolism of the communion elements. And he blessed Abraham. Well, the lesser never blesses the greater. The greater always blesses the lesser. And so Abraham is being blessed here by someone who is greater than he. So when you put it all together, I believe, again, good people disagree on this, but I believe that indications are that Melchizedek is actually Jesus who took on human appearance before entering the human race when he was born through a Virgin Mary. This is a Christophany. This is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. So verse 4, just think how great he was, talking about Melchizedek, even, and, and then I'm going to summarize all this so it'll all make sense. Think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi, who become priests, to collect a tenth from the people, that is, their brothers, even though their brothers are descended from Abraham. This man, however, Melchizedek, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser person is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by men who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestors. All right, what does all of that mean? So here's basically what he's trying to say. What he's trying to say is, He's making the case that Melchizedek is a greater priesthood because you have to understand, why is he even saying all this? The Jews who became believers in Jesus Christ as Messiah had to learn that some of the customs they were used to were actually all about pointing to Jesus so that once Jesus fulfills all these things, you don't need to return to all these various customs. And one of the customs that was kind of a, the linchpin of their faith was, you can't get to God except by going through a priest. So the writer of Hebrews is going to make this argument, but you have a greater priest now who is Jesus, and he's of a greater priestly order, which is of the order of Melchizedek, because I believe he actually was Melchizedek, versus the normal priestly order, which is of the tribe of Levi. That's all this reference here to to Levi. Now, Levi is going to be the great grandson of Abraham. Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, Jacob has 12 sons. One of them is Levi. And the tribe of Levi will end up serving as priests in the temple of God. And these priests are the ones that all the Jews ordinarily would go through, the tribe of Levi and the high priest, in order to connect with God. The writer of Hebrews is saying, but there's another priestly order that precedes and transcends the line of Levi, and it's Melchizedek. And Melchizedek comes on the scene hundreds of years before the Mosaic law and before the tribe of Levi was even birthed, because Abraham's the great-grandfather of Levi. So because Melchizedek is of a higher priestly order, again, because I think he's Christ himself, He predates, precedes, transcends the Levitical priesthood. Is everybody with me? And so he's helping them to understand if you're afraid of leaving the Levitical priesthood and connect directly with God through Jesus, let me just tell you, Jesus is of a higher priestly order. So you don't have to worry about the whole priesthood thing, the earthly priesthood thing, because it's been fulfilled once and for all through our high priest, who is Jesus, who's of a higher priestly order, which is the order of Melchizedek everybody with me? Okay, keep reading with me. Verse 11, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, in other words, the line of Levi, for on the basis of it, the law was given to the people, why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. Aaron was of the tribe of Levi. Okay, now he's about to quote here in just a moment, Psalm 110 verse 4, which is what David wrote. David wrote, 1000 BC is when he lived He, he wrote Psalm 110 and it's that passing reference to Melchizedek the only other time we read about him was Genesis 14 and so the writer of Hebrews is going to say now listen there's a reason why David mentions this guy Melchizedek in a higher priestly order and he's helping them understand if the whole Levitical thing was perfect why did God mention another priestly order Verse 12, for when there is a change of the priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. In other words, if the tribe of Levi is not going to offer perfection for people, then the law that gave us the tribe of Levi must also be replaced. In the sense of there's now the message of grace that comes through Christ grace and truth comes through Christ. The law came through Moses, grace and truth comes through Christ. So this is the argument that he's making here. Uh, Verse 13, he of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, a different tribe, not Levi. He, he He was not of the tribe of Levi, he was of the tribe of Judah. And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear. If another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life, for it is declared, and this is where he quotes David now from Psalm 110, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. So he's still making the same argument. He's like, the tribe of Levi is the traditional tribe of the priestly line. We could only get to God through the priestly line of the tribe of Levi. Aaron was the first high priest of the tribe of Levi, and his descendants after him would serve as the intermediaries between God and man. But the, the Jews who are believers in Jesus are a little wigged out about this. They're like, how can we really get to God? Because traditionally we have to go through the tribe of Levi and through the priest to get to God. Right? writer of Hebrews is like, no, 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 let me tell you something. This is why David wrote a thousand years before Christ about the higher priestly order of Melchizedek, because it's greater than the tribe of Levi. The law never saved anybody, he's saying. The law never saved anybody. Those priests were temporary. The law was put in place to lead us to Christ. That's what Paul will write in Galatians chapter 3, right? That the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ and so that we might be justified not by the law, but by faith in Christ. The law exposes my need for a Savior. The law fillets me wide open and helps me to understand all my sinful qualities and tendencies. And thus, when I read the law and I see what is right, what is wrong, and how I don't measure up to it, I need to cry out for a Savior. And this is where Jesus then enters into the scene to be our Savior because he accomplishes what the law couldn't do. The law can't save us. The law just exposes our sinful hearts so that we cry out to a Savior who is Jesus. So, verse 20, "...and it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, to Melchizedek, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever." That's also Psalm 110, verse 4. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests, earthly human priests, since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Underline that. Because there's no other earthly priesthood that measures up to the permanent priesthood of Christ. He has replaced all earthly priesthoods and priestly kinds of systems. Verse 25, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, through Jesus, because he always lives to intercede for them. Right? Isn't that what the Bible also tells us? That Jesus Christ rose from the dead, it back into heaven, and that he's seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. In other words, right now Jesus is praying for you. He's always praying for you, interceding for you. And such a high priest meets our need, verse 26, one who is holy, blameless, pure. This is all talking about Jesus. Set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. On a cross, right? This Jesus dies on a cross. He offered him himself as as the living sacrifice. For, verse 28, for the law appoints as high priests men who are weak. You know, we're frail, we're human, human vessels are weak. But the oath which came after the law, meaning Psalm 110, when David wrote what he did, appointed the Son, capital S, that's Jesus, who has been made perfect for ever. Let me just bullet point two quick things before we go. What is he saying here? He's saying, first of all, that the priesthood of Jesus precedes and transcends any earthly priestly system. That's one of the points he's making. And the second point he's making is, Jesus was before the priesthood was ever established among men, and he is greater than any priest among men, because only Jesus can stand between a holy God and, and sinful humanity to bridge that gap and only Jesus can reconcile man to god and only Jesus can atone for sins and only Jesus not a priest not a vicar not another human being can hear my confession and forgive me of my sins only Jesus your
1: new life. The book of Hebrews encourages its readers to stop relying on what they can do to be saved, known as living by the law. There's a better way, and it's through Jesus. Jesus came to earth and perfectly lived out His life, never wavering from the law and always showing love and kindness. He was perfect and was also the perfect sacrifice for sin. He obediently died in your place so that you wouldn't need to face the punishment your sins deserve. And all you need to do is accept it. Are you ready to take this step of faith? Jesus is ready and waiting for you to step away from your old life with loving arms wide open. If you're making a decision for your Savior today, please let us know. You can send an email to prayer at quarterstonechapel.net We'd like to encourage you to find a Bible-teaching church in your area right away. It will be a place where you can grow and learn and find the support of community, of family. You're now part of a family of faith, after all. If you happen to be in the Leesburg area, consider yourself invited to Cornerstone Chapel. We meet weekly for worship and fellowship after studying the Bible together. You'll be able to get more information at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, that's CornerstoneConnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection.
0: They say you're a wandering soul. You've got no place to go. But still you know. But still you know. You're not alone.